Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. Thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you I had to This is The Final Word, Cricket Podcast. I'm Jeff Lemon. A lot of things happening on the show today. The IPL, then there were two. Uh, the Labyrinthine final series has been whittled down to the last pair. CSK versus uh, KKR, the acronym battle. We'll talk about England's Ashes squad because how could we not? Um, and, and what's happening with the Lions and all of the rest of it. In Harare this week, Amy Hunter scored a century for Ireland in one-day international cricket at the age of 16, the youngest ever to do so in one-day cricket, on her birthday, on her birthday, if you don't mind. This after Zimbabwe had a win in their first ever official one-day international. Marianne Mosonda made an unbeaten ton when they beat Ireland in the first game. Travis Head just made another double hundred in list day cricket, made 230, so joins a very short list of players with two doubles in list day cricket. We'd like to send a welcome to the world to Maya Therese Jaya Vikrama, a baby daughter for Aranda and his partner in the USA, uh, who has come to join our strange and interesting large final word family. Uh, it's been a big week politically. Earl Eddings is gone from Cricket Australia. The AGM will happen today at the time of recording. But I think I'll discuss all of that next week with Adam Collins because he's not here. He's at the tail end of his holiday. So I would like to introduce instead, filling in on the show this week, uh, the boy genius of Crickviz, Ben Jones. Welcome. Oh, that was very nice, Jeff. Thank you very much. I have, um, I, I did think about brill creaming my hair back and trying to go full collar just to, you know, method act my way through the next hour or so. Mm-hmm. But in the absence of that, in the absence of being able to replicate him visually, I'm hoping mm-hmm. to offer a fraction of the insight that Collo would normally do, but in a slightly more calm, less manic voice. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm going to go for. I'm going to be, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and try and relax. It's, it's 10 o'clock. It's half past, uh, half past 10, 11 o'clock here in England, in Cambridge. It's late night podcasting. I'm going mm-hmm. to dim the lights. I'm going to put the red bulb in and it's going to be a, a lovely, deep, sexy bath discussion of, uh, <laughs> of the, of the week in our beautiful game. <laughs> 
Put the lights down low. I'm going to give you some good, good Collins. Uh, yes. Well, so we, we, we sometimes do it this way where if I record with Adam late at night, we do get the mellow late night Adam version. Um, you know, who is, who is a bit more? A bit more down the the husky end of the register. So, look, we'll we'll let it roll tonight, and we'll we'll see where it takes us. Um, but I hope that he's had a, a pleasant, relaxing time away from the game for just a little while. Um, other big, exciting news that you will be thrilled to know: this Ben came through in a press release from Cricket Australia uh, that they've they've got a new three year deal with Gatorade. My favourite bit of this was a, a quote attributable to Pat Cummins that says. Uh, I am very excited to be part of the Gatorade family. Did you know Gatorade had a family? I did not know they had a family. But sugar and salt and water, he's part of that family. I think we're all born into the Gatorade family mm. and then you have to opt out. It's like being a being an organ donor. It's, it's, I think, you know, Pat is only just discovering that he's, he's moved into moved into this particular bloodline. I would say it's been a big week for, for Pat Cummins' endorsements because mm. he did a little video uh, for some some charity or whatever on uh, on his YouTube channel talking about how he looks after and prepares his body and his mind. And one of the ways that he, he does that is, a, is, a, is by reading cricket books. And he decided to give, give my, my book hitting against the spin a little oh. bit of a plug, gave it, gave a little bit of a plug and said, you know, how great it was, got the name wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Had to put a little picture of it up to say, you know, as a little little visual apology, and so I I can say that I I stand proudly alongside Gatorade as a Pat Cummins endorsed product, and so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to uh, to be in such prestigious company. <laughs> and Pat Cummins has also welcomed a baby of his own to the world, which I suppose by extension means that that baby is also part of the Gatorade family. <laughs> so it's nice to see the Gatorade family expanding its reach. How does the hymn go? And Soul by soul, and but silently, her shining bounds increase. That is the story of the Gatorade family. I would say it's a, there was a missed opportunity for a you know a hashtag classy touch to maybe just sneak Gatorade in as a, a middle name, or maybe maybe a first name if they're feeling particularly excited. Yeah. Maybe after a Gatorade, maybe a flavour, maybe a maybe a, a Gatorade flavour. Maybe if we if we went to Aranda's daughter, maybe Maya Therese Mountain Blast Jaya Vikrama. <laughs> You know, doesn't that have a ring to it? Some nominative determinism where they're just like an absolutely manic child <laughs> from day on, just like straight out of the gate, sugared up to the eyeballs. <laughs> Why is your child blue? <laughs> I don't know. It's always been blue. <laughs> the, um, so the, the Ireland Zimbabwe women's series, that was that was feel good stuff. I, you work very much in cricket stato uh, Deep in deep in the stats minds, it's interesting when these things come through with the um, the qualifications. You know, this is this country's first time time playing a one day international. Of course, they've played plenty of fifty over cricket, but that hasn't been formally given the status. And so you have the games that count and the games that don't count in the careers of of players who you know. You look back at some of some of the Irish men's players who will have played hundreds of games, but only 30 of them are recognised as official games. So they seem to have these truncated careers on their top line records, but you have to dig deeper to find where they've actually been playing. It's quite odd, isn't it? It kind of plays into crickets, you know, playing God 
you know, fascination where everything has to be labelled and delineated and decided and, you know, you're allowed to play test cricket, you're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's probably a serious answer to that, that it's that, you know, it's probably a hangover from the, you know, the dark days of how cricket spread around the world. But I'd also, you'd also say that, you know, from a, from a professional point of view, it is quite useful that everyone's been so anal for 150 years about it because it, it means that it is all relatively pulled together. I thought that, the, yeah, that with, on the Hunter thing, I thought, I thought it was quite sweet. Um, just seeing, I think she was on the front cover of the, um, of the Irish Times. And it's just like those, those little kind of moments, you know, 16 year old girl. <laughs> In mm. in Ireland, you like we, you get excited enough if Irish cricket, if Irish men's cricket in the mm. World Cup was on the front cover of their national paper. So yeah, sixteen year old kid, make you know, starting yeah. out in their career. I got I was I was just pootling along and looking through and trying to get you know trying to find an angle on the on the on this series. And I was thinking, oh, you know, Ireland have got some really good really good young players now. You got you got Hunter, you got Gabby Lewis, and then I was thinking, yeah, Gabby Lewis is only tw- only twenty. She's played so many games that I don't think it's really fair to say that she's the, you know a young player of comparable stature. So yeah. it, was, it was that thing of just like getting slightly disorientated, thinking, yeah, she's been playing international cricket for six years. Not really yeah. fair to call it like you know she's essentially a veteran. She's been doing yeah. her job longer than I've been doing mine. So it's, I can't really wade in and. Uh, be patronising it. Well, I, I was thinking this about Deepti Sharma, who plays for the Indian team. She's 24. She's played over 120 internationals for India already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, one day in, in T20 matches and then, you know, recently a, a test or two. But, yeah, just, just <laughs> extraordinary how you can rack them up when you start early. So I think we need to look at the IPL. I wish I was sitting here talking to you about Glenn Maxwell. I think we can. I think we can do that anyway. Um, oh, we, oh, we're going to. We're going to. Yeah. <laughs> the, we, we've got the way they do it where they squeeze four teams into two in the final, but not by a conventional knockout. The top two teams play off for a spot in the final and then the next two play a knockout and then the winner of that plays the loser of the first game and so on. Um, Royal Challengers, Bangalore, they've they've been a star-crossed team for, for so long. They seem to have something going this season, but what they did seem to have going was entirely Glenn Maxwell will, will win the match for you. What, six half centuries through this IPL? Seemed like every time I watched an RCB game, it was sputtering along after the power play, having a pretty slow scoring rate, and then Maxi would come in and make a quick unbeaten 50 and get them to a competitive score and and they'd be able to work it out from there. And that all worked very well up until the Eliminator when the squeeze was so squeezy that, I mean, I felt sorry for him because he was was left there with, you know, Coley got out, AB de Villiers gets out, Maxwell's there on, you know, about a run of ball 12 looking around going shit you know we're we're five down here we don't have a lot of um a lot left to to help me out and Sunil Narayan bowled one of the great spells of his career that involves many great spells knocked over all of those three plus another four for bugger all and um was able to put the squeeze on on a pretty slow scoring deck but if we can cast our eye just across the the season of Maxwell that was uh Tell me about that so I can think about it for one last time. Be thinking about it for a long time. It's uh, it, it was it was a deeply enjoyable experience as you know as a Maxi fan. Obviously, I've worked with worked with him for a couple of seasons now at the Stars, and you feel a little bit invested, you know, a little bit to say the least invested in how he does and want him to you know smash it over there. And the the long running, you know mixed love affair that the IPL has had with Maxi and that he is 
you know, he is such a marketable, charismatic cricketer. But it's only ever translated to runs and effective runs in the IPL once, and that's back in 2014. And that was, you know, one of the great IPL seasons. And he tore up and then has flattered to deceive ever since. And it's just quite weird that actually this season, nothing's really changed. He's still, he's playing roughly a similar role. He's playing in a side that's maybe slightly better than he has been. Certainly better than the um, the Kings 11 or the Punjab Kings side that he was playing in last year, which is an absolute shower. And he's coming to a team in with RCB this year, which, yeah, they've, you know, like you say, struggled a little bit at the top. Coley slowing down after the power play. Padakel being a bit up and down with the bat. And it's a bit, you, 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 it's never quite coming together. But there's a clear plan there. And they've played, they've played some good cricket. I, I, I've really enjoyed watching them. But part of the reason why I've really enjoyed watching them is because Maxi's had this very clear role of coming in in the middle overs, hitting spin and trying to hit sixes consistently and seemingly being given license to do so. And it did feel like, I mean, there was that viral picture that went went off um, on Twitter of Coley with his head bowed when Maxwell gets out to Narayan in that, in that final game and he skies one, he's playing some, he's a bit of a hack, to be honest, because he was almost like in spirit in that picture. That is the end of the season. It was obviously the game situation, but it was more just like Maxwell has been the driving force of this of this campaign. He has been the the, the spiritual leader. Obviously, Coley on the score sheet, but Maxwell kind of in the ether. And when he got out, the dream died. But it, yeah. I, I, I I put some I put some stuff online the other day. But you know, according to you know our Crickvisi numbers. That 2014 campaign for Maxwell was, I think, the fifth best uh, IPL batting campaign ever. Um, if you, you know, various qualifications, and then this one was, I think, the tenth best ever. And there's only two other guys that have got two two seasons in the top ten, and it's Gale and Abi Davilius. Now you can talk about his consistency, about whether or not you know Maxwell's, but he's been up and down. He's had m- many more terrible seasons than than Gale and uh, and Ab. But if you're churning out two of the great individual campaigns, hmm. where does the conversations, you know, rest? Where does it end up when we're talking about your legacy as an IPL player? It's probably pretty damn high. Hmm. And so whilst it's, whilst it's been nice to see him just, you know, performing in a very specific, quite tactically interesting role um, and a role that I think will translate really bloody well to the Australian team in the World Cup, it is also nice to kind of sit back and, you know, not get too in the weeds of it and just assess that, you know, this is a guy who has... In, in for for a player of his obvious genius, has struggled to kind of you know pin winners medals on his on his greatness that they'll last the test of time, and so it would have been nice if he could have carried them all the way there. But I, I think these kind of individual contributions they do endure in a way that you know the great test innings do, and the way that great ODI innings do. They they stand up when we look back on them in five, ten years' time. And, the, you know, like I say... Once the, the context recedes, in a way, it's like exactly. the, the context of whether you won or lost the tournament sometimes doesn't... Like, sometimes the performance is defined by the result, you know, that score you made in a match-winning effort. But sometimes, yeah, like you say, for, for maybe maybe seven, eight, ten years later, that stops mattering so much. It's just you did a thing. Exactly. And it, um, even with, like... You go all the way back and you think about McCullum's game in the in, yeah, first night of the IPL. Hmm. Obviously, we remember that McCullum won, but the vagaries of the game situation and how they did for the rest of the season, who really gives a shit? It's all about that moment and those yeah. those kind of individual little you know shenanigans. They do they do endure, but it was it was it was a damn shame because I think the RCB, like I say, for all the 
all the you know focus on Maxi, and obviously from an Australian point of view, very understandable. There was a lot going on in that team that was yeah really intelligent stuff. My my, uh, my colleague um, Srini was out there working with them, and you know he's he's a clever enough guy to uh, to kind of keep his head down and, and not shout his name from the rooftops online but he was he was doing some fantastic work with them and you know offer, offering strategies and trying to change their change the way the rcb have gone about playing their cricket and mike hess and their coach has done a really good job i think and i think if they can keep him um it, you know obviously it's going to all be all shaking up in the next couple of years with the new with the new teams coming in i think if they can keep hess and they've got a really interesting cycle ahead of them because he's mm. clearly a really talented coach really thorough really engaged and there's obviously going to be a big a big shift with no fear out next year as captain, but maybe that's going to be the start of something rather than the end of something. And you know, we talk about retentions. Who's going to who's going to be there next year? You probably can't you can't keep Maxi, Av, and Coley. When Maxwell's played like that for you know fourteen games, fifteen games, mm. you start to think, well, maybe he's potentially more valuable than the, than Coley as a player. Obviously, off the field, not the same, mm. but as a pure cricketing cold hard logic decision you start to think maybe maybe he's the kind of guy he's younger than, than you think he is turning in his early 30s has he got three years of being an elite t20 batsman in him? no question so mm. maybe maybe they can pin their hopes on him and build around the youth that they've got it, it's a it's a really exciting time for for the side but yeah they did lose we it, should probably underline that <laughs> in a way does it does it create a problem for RCB that Coley was so demonstrative about saying I will never play for another team this you know this my IPL career will will be at RCB does that mean they feel honor bound to pick him going forward will they just do that as a business case because he's so good for marketing and and like what is up with him because he's not he's been not quite right for a while but but the T20 game has been the format in which he's stayed the most in touch over the last couple of years when he's been struggling a bit more in, in test cricket, not going terribly, but but not going yeah, yeah, yeah. the kind of way that we're used to. T20's been where he's he's held up. He's he's managed to to keep his standards. But this season, you know, he just looked uncomfortable almost every time he was at the crease. I think what it, what it is with Coley is that he is an extremely consistent T20 batsman in that his strengths are so obvious. He can deal with high pace in a way that no one else really can in India. He can deal with particular kinds of you know technical challenges because he is you know a genius in other formats and a very very good T20 player, and so that never really goes away. But the weaknesses are structural, and it's to do with tempo, and it's to do with accelerate. You know, he always decelerates after the power play. He does find it difficult to score, and these pitches have been so horrid. Mm. That's only going to exacerbate that. So I think that's that's where it's kind of driven him down a little bit. I mean, he's not a bad season by any stretch of the imagination, but he's it does feel a little bit like you say painted them into a little bit of a corner in terms of saying, yeah, this is where I am, what I have, I hold, I am I am RCB. Mm-hmm. It creates a bit, of, a bit of tension. Equally, it's the kind of thing that's such a strong statement. You assume that something's been said behind the scenes and everything's, you know, they've got their ducks in a row and they know what they're going to do with it. But, it, it, you know, mega auctions are weird things because there's so much money flying around and everyone panics and it's all very stressful. And <laughs> you, 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 ask a load, you ask a load of millionaires to make a decision on the day with about 30 seconds notice about, you know, whether or not you want to pay twice as much for a player. You know, decisions change, things happen. So... Mm. Who knows where we'll be in six months' time with Coley? But I'd like mm. personally, I'd, I'd like to see him stay and um, and you know and perform and and win the IPF because yeah. he, he is the kind of it feels again. We talk about the fact that it, the context does fall back, but something a player as iconic as Coley not winning the IPL 
does feel a bit like like Stephen Gerrard not winning the Premier League in England or that kind of. It's it's like it's a big notable absence from their CV, and yep. it would be it'd be nice just to calm the clamour online to mm-hmm. to you know quieten the noise if mm-hmm. that just kind of if that if that box was ticked. <laughs> it's just like it's all just. I like the idea that you know Twitter would just suddenly become this like calm waters, mm-hmm. just this serene place where everyone just exchanged views, you know, in a perfectly civilized manner as soon as Coley's got that one level around his neck. So there you yeah, go. yeah. It's, it's, well, particularly when you know Rohit Sharma's got about thirteen of them, and you can imagine him. <laughs> you know, Coley drops around to his house, and Rohit's like, "Yeah, come in, come in. Take a seat in the IPL trophy room where I keep all my IPL trophies." Into Vivo, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Kolkata Knight Riders, the team with the talking car. Sunil Narayan, the four for, and then he comes out with the bat and makes 20 off about four balls in a, in a small run chase. Like one of the great individual just gorgeous yeah. in, in, in any match. Was this a, a sort of blast from the past performance or has this been simmering away for a while? Because Narayan's one of these players who, you know, was, was a revelation what feels like 15 years ago and had all of the troubles with his bowling action, was less effective for a long time. Is he is he back or was this like a brief foray into the past? I mean, he's got he's kind of gone under the radar in, in the last few years because he's not the new player that he was. Yeah. He's not the new sensation. But, I mean, what he's producing across a period of time is, uh, is pretty admirable stuff. Oh yeah, there's no question. I mean, I, I, we did some analysis during during lockdown last year where there was no, you know, no cricket for us to watch, so we started digging into the history book, um, and we basically decided that the Ryan is the greatest, the best T20 player ever, the most effective. Um, obviously, greatness is a lot more abstract, and you talk about Gale and Pollard and winners' medals again. That that kind of stuff matters in those kind of pub debates. But in terms of actual just raw numbers, you know, the Bradman of it all, he is. The, the most effective T20 bowler of all time. He just doesn't go for any runs and he's played mm. hundreds of games. I think, it, yeah, there was a dip a couple of years ago and he's come back now. And I think there are those questions about his bowling action again. They are back on the, the agenda because all of a sudden he's ragging it and there is mm-hmm. everything's getting a little bit long sleeve, short sleeve discussions. <laughs> and it's all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. It's very twitchy. Yep. It's very, yeah, very nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of conversations mm-hmm. on, on commentary. But I would also say that, you know, I, I, the pitches in the UAE are, have been very dry and very spin friendly. And it doesn't necessarily mean that just because he's racking it, it means that he's chucking it. But I, I, I thought that game was amazing. Just that, that, that performance, as you say, it is convoluted, it is a convoluted route to the final. The actual, you know, the way they structure the final series, it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to that obvious immediate sense of grandeur and occasion because you're like, what is this qualifier one, the eliminator, the eliminator mm. two, qualifier not like it becomes a little bit, where are we in the, you know, in the in the calendar? But actually, once you once it clicks and you realize, yeah, this is essentially this is a knockout game. And he's gone bang Maxwell, bang Eddie De Villiers, bang Coley, and then he comes out and hits his first two balls for six. You just think this is a man who is putting in one of the great all, all the one of the great all round performances, and in a way which doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel um, kind of out of nowhere. This is a guy, yeah, he mm. kind of and, and he exudes that vibe of like I am a guy. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you want a, a wicket uh, a, a wicket maiden in the super over? Yeah, yeah. I could, I could probably do that. Oh, you want me to go and just whack a load of sixes? Yeah, sure. He's got it's that supreme confidence which I think kind of flows out of him it's a 
real shame that he's not going to be at the World Cup because mm. uh, he's, he's just a wonderful bowler to watch. And I think he's the kind of bowler that because he plays primarily in the T20 Ex- leagues... Explain that, that to also, people if you could. Why, why isn't he? What's, what's going on there? Well, I think there's the obvious concern about the bowling action because the IPL is famously a little bit more forgiving, shall we say? Mm, about, okay. uh, it's it's about, more about the show than about the, yeah, the strict yeah. interpretation. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you forget your lines as long as you turn up on time. There's a little bit of that kind of that kind of angle to it and the idea that the ICC might not like their, their tournament being besmirched by someone mm. potentially chucking it. I'm not saying he is or, or whatever, by the way. It's you know, for debate and I don't know enough about this kind of stuff. But basically, I think that was the, that's the kind of behind-the-scenes suggestion but the main one is just he failed or I think failed to turn up for a uh, fitness test um, and so basically kind of I think he played you know Billy Big Trousers and didn't and almost said like I don't want to I don't really want to do this um, and so as a result the West Indies are very keen at the moment on trying to create a culture and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff all those cliches you know, we're all in this together and we all have to abide mm-hmm. by the same rules even if one of one of us is the best bowler in the world and as a result they've drawn a line. So that's why he's not going to go to the World Cup unless there's, you know, barring a, a last-minute decision to change that, which can happen. The ICC have built that in, so you're allowed to to switch things up. We've seen that a lot in the last few days with Pakistan. Um, and so there is the opportunity to do that, but it's just a real shame. He's so good. And he, he, you, you put him as the kind of cherry on the cherry on the icing on the cake of that West Indies side. It would be, it would be like a real, it's a real treat to watch. It's like taking Messi out of Argentina. It's like, yeah, still a yeah. good side, but it's not, yeah, it, it's suddenly, it, it all feels a little bit like we're being deprived of, of a brilliant player for, Slightly messy, smudgy reasons that don't mm. necessarily hang together in the broader the broader view. <laughs> yeah, when you when you look at it, you go, okay, well, here's a team where everybody down to about at least number eight can smash sixes. What if we bring in a guy who can also smash sixes and <laughs> happens to be the most effective bowler in the history of this format, who's also in red hot form on the same pitches at the same yeah. grounds as this tournament will be played at. He doesn't even need to check out of his hotel. Just, just yeah. stay where you are, so you're all good. You're all good. Those pitches are going to be are going to be a they they really are the kind of clinching deal for it for me because like Narine can be ineffective on really flat wickets, and you know if you go to. If it, if it was being played at Eden Park, you'd think, you know, maybe not. Maybe it's not worth a gamble. We're going to look at look at some of these fun quicks, and we're going to have McCoy in, and we're going to, you know, we're going to try and gamble on a new new generation. But these pitches are tailor made for him, just absolutely mm-hmm. tailor made. And the fact that you can see that with um, with Farron Chakravarti, who plays alongside him for KKR, who is essentially, to all intents and purposes, a bit of a clone. Like they they bowl very similarly. It's that mm-hmm. front on kind of. Bowling slightly back of a length, spinning it both ways, by the same kind of pace, and they're both just absolutely loving it. And that's where KKR's resurgence has come from in the second half of the tournament. They were they won two of their first seven matches going back in the India leg, mm. and now they're in the final. And it's because their attack is just so well suited to these conditions. You know, you've got you've got this, all the this spin. You've got Shaki Balasand. You've got Chakravarti. You've got Narine. But then you've also got Lockie Ferguson bowling. You know, ninety mile an hour back of a length. And sometimes it, it's you know a daisy cutter that comes in and takes your toe off. And sometimes it mm-hmm. blows your head off. So how on earth are you supposed to play those attacks? Now on truer pitches, it could be a little bit samey, and it might lack a little bit of variety and a little bit of um, cutting edge. 
but on these on these wickets, it's absolutely you know, it's perfect. And it's interesting that we'll talk about CSK in a minute, but it's a real um, contrast to CSK who don't really have any ball speed, who their spinners are more orthodox spinners, and it's guys who bowl cutters like Shardell Thacker. Whereas KKR are like, yeah, no, we're just going to have mystery spin and high pace because we're going to play sexy cricket and it's going to be really fun. Um, and and you can just see McCullum just being like, just like nodding sagely, like, yes, this is a team in my image. It's just like people who just want to have a really really good time. And the batting is, you know, seemingly kicked on as well. There's a couple of young kids in, yeah, Shubman Gill, who obviously is, you know, the heir apparent. But also Venkatesh Iyer, who's not a kid, he's he's come into the side. He's never played IPL before. And he's, you know, the missing link in the evolution of Indian all-rounders. <laughs> India don't produce all-rounders in T20 cricket. Who, well, they don't produce batting all-rounders. Basically just Hardik. And then shit, it's like Shivam Dube and people like that. But Venkatesh has suddenly turned up and he's just, you know, batting without a cap or batting without a helmet standing there hitting sixes for fun and then bowling very, very cannily. Uh, and so, and I think that kind of thing is what is very encouraging, that kind of story of a guy who is not, he's not a kid who's broken through. He's a guy who's been bubbling away in the background of Indian cricket. And if we're looking for reasons to be positive about the 10-team expansion, i.e. does India have the depth to to uh, to fill out these sides with quality players, the emergence of guys like Venkatesh is, Venkatesh is really significant. Because it it just gives you that sense of okay, there's there's actually another there's another like level there. There's another tier of players who are capable of being watchable, exciting, charismatic. Again, to use the to use the word cricketers in, on a global scale. Like people aren't just watching it, being like, oh yeah, he's all right. So actually, mm. who the hell is this guy? Like he he stands out, and he was he's never played in the tournament before. I, 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 it's it's exciting for me looking forward and thinking, God, I just don't want it to get crap. I don't want it to become bloated and to become this kind of we're watching the blast, but on a global scale. I'm I'm encouraged by it. He is he is he is significant for me in that regard. Well, you can tell that they're the fun team because before every game, Owen Morgan in the dressing room is like, "Right, lads, how many hats do you think I can put on this time? Seventeen? <laughs> do you think I can crack seventeen? My God, the man just will not stop wearing giant piles of hats. I, um, I really want that to carry on after COVID. I just want that to uh, that, yeah. that's the tradition I'm enjoying. I think I think it's a bit like the um, you know how they, obviously they have the orange cap and the purple cap mm-hmm. for different awards. I think you should have the cap cap for the uh, yep. for the most for the most caps. And well, you have to wear the orange cap on top of your other cap, maybe something exactly. like that. Like a, I'd like to see the presentations. You know, the, here's the team gathered around, and we're presenting you with your England cap, and also your second England cap, <laughs> your third England cap, your fourth England cap. Your- Speaking of caps, the uh, the Delhi caps, Delhi Capitals. Lovely. Uh, look, they had inspiring speeches from Ricky Ponting in the change rooms. They had they had uh, Rishabh Pant being Rishabh Pant. They they bowed out in straight sets. They've uh, they lost two finals in a row, and they're gone. Ski. What happened? What went wrong for DC? Oh, well, I think it was uh, it was a bizarre season. It's been a, been a bizarre four years, to be honest. I. I think they've they've massively missed the boat really with their they've got this incredible Indian core, incredible players, and basically by failing to nail any auction across the, the four years since the mega auction in twenty eighteen, they've basically not made the most of it. And so having this this core of incredible players is gonna go four years without a without a title. And I don't think they deserve massive criticism for what's happened towards the back end of this season, because with this 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 little collapse because it basically ended up with them just struggling to balance their side because Marcus Stoinis was 
not fit and then was fit again, but not fit to bowl and basically not quite sure where to use him. And they, they I think they did as well. I think they did very well to, to get to this stage. You know, they did it off the back of some outstanding hitting from Hetmeyer down the order in a role that he's not necessarily used to. Um, and they did it off the back of Nokia being an absolute brute, just this incredible, you know, freak of a player who I think, you know, could very easily tear up the World Cup as well. Um, and they also did it wearing, I still think, the greatest T20 kit of all time, the uh, the rainbow, the rainbow kind of Pescara football inspired one, which I will, and I'm using this as a platform now, I will pay significant money for anyone who can give me one of those shirts because you can't buy them online. So if any uh, any final word listeners will can get in touch, I, I, I will... Uh, I will do my best to uh, to supplement your income for the coming years because I just I want at least one, if not multiple. I'm going to go full Einstein instead of full wardrobe full of them. But what happened? I mean, what happened today was just KKR KKR'd them really high. Yeah, like like we were saying, high pace, lots of spin. They couldn't really cope with it. And the the issue that Delhi had is that they they basically relied, like a lot of teams, they relied on their top order coming out and, and nailing it and their openers, you know, smashing it from the get-go. Pretty sure is such an aggressive, exciting player, but it's, it is high risk, and it, it, when it when it doesn't come off consistently, it, le- it does leave you short. And t- t- today, that was pretty much the case. Stoinis just couldn't get away from uh, from you know that strike rate of about a run a ball. It was a, it was a sticky dog of a wicket. And you're coming up against some of the best exploiters of those of those uh, conditions in the world, and he just could not accelerate. There's a couple of nice hits, a couple of nice strokes, but really, he, he was he got out for I think it was it was twenty odd off, slightly more than twenty odd, um, and it yeah, was, it was uh, seventeen off nineteen, something like there that. There you go, there you go. It wasn't uh, it wasn't that all great cricketing, then, didn't I? Yeah, I mean, how many did you get? Yeah, yeah, strike rate of about strike rate of about 120. Yeah. But it was it was a, it was just a bit frustrating. Now, what was what was quite funny was that. Um, Basically, KKR were pissing it. Absolutely. They, they needed a, a run rate of about four runs per over with about, I think, nine wickets remaining and then proceeded to lose as many wickets as they could possibly lose in about in about four or five overs and got managed to get themselves into a proper little tangle where they needed seven from six and then six from three. And Owen Morgan, Owen Morgan got out again. He's having a terrible, terrible season with the bat. And so Delhi hadn't kind of sensed blood a little bit. You could see like, I mean, Ashwin was bowling and I feel like there's, there's a guy, if there was any guy in international cricket who could relish that sense of just like oh am I am I suddenly become a massive little party pooper here and I'm going to get to kind of you know rub my hands like an evil villain and be you know (laughs) just suddenly stumble onto onto greatness he nearly takes a hat trick at the final over it's bowling these kind of weird low arm darts and it's really it's a bizarre thing to see a guy like Ashwin who's obviously not a classical bowler but He's very regal. He's very statesman-like in the way that he plays the game. And to see him playing, you know, T20 bowl, you know, bowing down, hunched down, like scrunched along the floor, trying to, you know, bowl like really round-arm little weird deliveries. If it, if it felt a bit weird, if you know, mm. it felt a bit like um, I don't know, slumming it. It felt a bit like watching, uh, you know, some famous actor going on and doing like a cameo in a sitcom. Just didn't quite feel mm. right. right. But then Raul Tripathi manages to just just whack the with two, with with six needed off three, um, and having two two wickets having fallen in two balls. Tripathi just goes, yeah, no, not having this. Actually, we're not going to collapse. I want to win the IPR. Bang, six, and the game is done. So Delhi, despite all of these issues and balancing the side, the fact that without Marcus Stoinis' fitness, they had to go through guys like a Ripal Patel, Lalit Yadav. They were trying domestic all-rounders and domestic guys to try and fix this this conundrum. But because the squad was quite badly put together, and I think the, the current coaching staff do have to take a fair bit of flack for that, they had such a great opportunity to build a really good side in the last four years and they, they just failed to take advantage of that brilliant base. It means that 
they do kind of end the series, you know, end the season on a proper low point, despite challenging for top of the table. Like they were, mm. they were, they were objectively the second best side in the group stage. They were fantastic, and they've just they've just kind of bottled it. And it, there's almost that's almost point, almost points to the I don't know the kind of weird torture that comes with this final series as well. Is that mm. it's not like it's not. I remember a couple of years ago in the BBL, um, I think it was 2000, 2018, 19, when Hobart Hurricanes were the best team in the tournament, and then they yeah. and then they just rocked up in the semi final and lost. And it was like yeah. oh. That's that's that then. Cool. Now, pers- personally, I don't have a problem with that because I think that's that's the nature of sport. You get tested over a league and then you get tested in, in knockout. I think that's fine. But there is something quite bleak about watching a side who are so good and are mm. objectively in the knockout stages of a tournament just keep losing. And you can see the energy just draining from them being like, they're having to keep replaying this torturous defeat over and over again. Mm. Lose to Chennai. Then lose to KKR, mm. and you're like, "What is? We we've been good, and now we now we have to be bad, and we are people. We're getting the piss taken out of us, like a side who came seventh, and actually we're mm. objectively one of the best teams in the to- in the tournament. But it's a, a really that, it's a really it's a really weird little side effect. A side that has the latitude to almost lose and will still come back and and actually win. And I was interested in your comment about Morgan. Is is he in England's best T20 team at the moment? Like. Just as a player, not as a captain. Mm, no, to be honest, um, I think I think with everyone fit, if England had Stokes available and Archer available and all of all of their Sam Curran available, particularly as well, I think there would be a very very serious conversation to be had about whether or not he's in England's best side because he he basically doesn't look like he can bat at the moment. He's he's scoring a runner yeah. ball, averaging about twelve. And I think he's Which got the most a fundamental problem for someone who doesn't do anything else. Uh, he he exactly. holds the hats. He's a very good hat holder, but he's no one's denying that. But mm. I think I think there is an art. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a. I remember I remember having this conversation with you on a on a boat in Perth a few years ago about <laughs> about about Sean Marsh when we were we were talking about obviously we were talking about Sean Marsh because we were talking of course, we were and um, and it was I'm the on idea. A boat. I'm on a boat. Everybody, look at me because I'm sailing on a boat. I believe that yeah, the lonely island never mentioned Sean Marsh, did they? One of the great absences from that over. But I remember you saying it's like when you know this is a guy who doesn't necessarily always make runs, and when he doesn't make runs, he does nothing else. Not a stepper, doesn't bowl, not a particularly good fielder. So it's like oh, actually, this guy is essentially absent from the side now. Morgan is obviously more than that because he is a brilliant captain. I don't know enough about captaincy really to uh, to have a proper opinion on it, but people who matter and the people who know him seem to say yeah, he's a really good captain. Um, those those with the understanding of how that works. And so he is offering something even when he's not scoring runs, but he is a bit of a specialist captain at this point. He's not scoring consistent runs. He's there was he had, he had a phase, I think, in 2019, 2020, where he was pretty much the fastest scorer in the world. So the idea that he's like been shit for ages is not true. That he's not he he is a really good player in the very recent past. But it, that past is zooming away quite quickly. <laughs> It, it suddenly feels very distant, uh, distant memory of him being a genuinely elite batsman. I think there is a there is a uh, a, a couple of interesting hypothetical questions that could be that we'll see the answer to in the next couple of weeks. One is that if Shahib Al Hassan on Sunday decides that he's not going to go and play for Bangladesh in round one of the World Cup and he's going to play the final, um, then if Andre Russell is fit, Morgan has the question of whether or not he drops Shahib or himself to get Russell back into the side. Now, mm. there is an argument that, that KKR are a better team with Morgan out of it and, and Russell in it alongside Shaqib. So how he goes with that in terms of managing that decision, 
I think is quite interesting. Um, there is always the option with KKR, given they have the little, uh, have Nathan with his signs on the side, um, mm-hmm. you know, point telling the captain what to do, that, you know, Morgan could essentially you know, play puppeteer from the bench, even totally. if he's not actually in the playing 11. I mean, that's well, he could Come on as a fielding sub for Russell, who doesn't like running around in the field because his knees hurt. You know, yeah. Morgan can come on and subfield and do the fielding changes and wear the hats and, you know, <laughs> perform the role that he performs in the team without actually taking up a place in the order. I'd like to think that he would wear the hats on the sideline regardless as well. Same. The other one the other one I was going to say in terms of that, how he deals with this particular question is going to be quite instructive as to what happens in the World Cup because there is a scenario when England turn up in the semi-final, all being well, when their group or come second in their group and they face India, uh, India are going to pick Ravi Ashwin to try and dismiss all of England's left-handers. Now, suddenly, getting rid of Owen Morgan makes that problem slightly slightly less stressful. Mm. Bring Sam Billings in, bring another right-hander. So that would be a big call for him to have to drop himself again. So how he deals with this first one will, I think, give us a bit of an insight into whether or not it's, you know, it's something that's in his thinking. It's a big call for, a, you know, it's, it's also a bloody big call for a, for a player who is about to go into a mega auction cycle to say, you know what, I don't think I'm good enough. So, I, and then they're personally, like, well, why would personally. we? Personally. Yeah, it's, it's my personal opinion, I think I'm rubbish. So I don't know why you would, you guys want to give me all the big bucks. But equally, you know, it's, everything's more complicated than that. I think it'll be fascinating. It's an interesting trend of the IPL that the final is contested between two captains who have had huge white ball success as, as skippers for their country and are doing well for their teams right now but not necessarily that consistently with the bat and obviously MS had that excellent game in the uh, in the eliminator or not the eliminator the qualifier one or whatever it's called whatever um, it was. but but it does help when you're a wicketkeeper and you exactly, can at yes. least do that job so you're taking so a few boxes yeah, the performance where he comes out and makes that quick 20 or whatever it was at the end and, and wins the game. It's interesting, and this will bring us to Chennai Super Kings, uh, better than regular Kings. If a player who is a bit past it has a good game, there is a, a strong narrative that pops up where it's like, ah, oh, he showed the haters when actually he, he just had a good game after having many bad ones. And he's more likely to have bad ones than good ones into the future because, you know, he's he's not as good a player as he was. Um, you don't necessarily need to hate someone to make that very uh, <laughs> pretty objective and logical observation. But it yeah, was sorry, can I, can, I get, can I get that in writing, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was all about, yeah, MSD, he's back. No, he's not back. Uh, he, he had a good night which he hasn't had for a while but uh but also like that's completely the final it's it's completely reasonable that people you know jump up and you know exclaim that he's back but i think also just like sometimes it's nicer to focus on like what the actual context at play here which is that he's been really poor this season with the bat and he's stepped up when it mattered and taken his team through to the final so it doesn't necessarily need to be indicative of future results it can Mm. just be this is you know raging into the dying of the light Everybody, et cetera, et cetera. You can enjoy it for what it is without it having to be, you know, projecting it forward. He, you know, MS is one of the greatest white ball batsmen ever. No, a better ODI batsman than T20 batsman. But he's arguably the most, yeah, he's arguably the most successful T20 captain ever. You can make that case very easily. And so him bringing his side to a final of another competition, another IPL, when people were maybe even talking that he should have retired before this tournament or before the last tournament, People were having these conversations. That is an incredible resurgence. And to do it whilst also not actually being that affected with the bat and basically creating a side around you that allows you 
to be poor with the bat. They bat so deep and they've got, you know, Shardul Thacker and Ranjit Jadeja. Uh, we talk about India's lack of all-rounders. They're probably as close to two genuine all-rounders uh, not named Hardik that India have got. And so they kind of bat either side or sometimes above, sometimes below MS. And that gives them that flexibility that actually if he doesn't think that he backs himself on any given day. He can drop himself down the order and it doesn't adversely affect the side. Now, that's the opposite of, of KKR. KKR kind of have to manage it and they're, they're basically just getting away with Morgan being bad, whereas CSK are kind of set up to deal with it. They're set up to have a guy who can be a brilliant wicketkeeper, an excellent captain mm. and not produce that many runs. That's And, and actually, I think that's underratedly excellent decision from Dhoni is it, it there is to an extent a level of humility there that he he recognizes that he is not you know a guy who can carry a team in number six he is a guy who has the ability to play those little cameo innings every now and again but a lot of the time he's not going to be able to do that and he on these especially on these slow wickets um, he's probably got away with it a little bit more in terms of you know he's not playing on 200 par where actually a slow 20 is really dangerous a slow 20 in these these conditions has has rarely been too much of an issue but CSK have been really exciting, which is not something kind of used to saying about CSK. They're normally like, you know, bloodly, bloodly effective and just kind of get over the line. But they've got this this group of all rounders and Shardle and Jadeja and Moe Nally up the order as well, who's my favourite player, just beautiful to watch in these, you know, these kind of conditions where he's just coming in, told to hit spin, try and hit sixes and then get out of there like you're fine. Everything, everything's good. And then you've got Rituraj Guy quite at the top of the order, who's this incredibly elegant young player and that absolutely dominated all season. You've got Faf bulging out of his shirt, being amazing as always. Mm-hmm. Like they work. Josh Hazelwood with a new ball has been been an interesting addition recently. And I think he has he is not as effective as as I think he can be. I think if he played more T20 cricket, he would be better because at the moment he is a bit repetitive in that he bowls those B bowls a beautiful first over, a beautiful second over, and then he comes back in the middle and tries to do the same thing again. And when the ball's yeah. not moving and people are set, they just bop him over back where it came from. And it's a little bit, he, he, he lacks a trick. I did see a stat that he's been hit for the most fours and sixes of any bowler in the competition. Maybe it was just in the second half in the UAE league. But I um, think that sounds way, about he's, right. He's gone for a lot of boundary balls, even though he bowls a lot of dot balls. So his overall rate isn't terrible, but he's he does go to the fence more than most. Well, that's that, and that comes back to the kind of deliveries he's bowling because Hazelwood is, as you say, he, because he's so metronomic and he's bowling that test match line length, those are the deliveries which basically, if you bowl slightly too full, you get hit and if you know your length, you beat the bat. Whereas a lot of those DJ Bravo kind of back of the hand, flippy, floppy, slower balls, they're designed to give away a single. That is the yeah. point of them. It's, it's essentially Top the off stump instead of outside off stump. Exactly. It's like the off spin, drag, like an off spin drag down outside off stump is a good ball if you've got a deep point in T20 cricket. And that's right. about, so it, it, in that instance, yeah, well, there's no boundary, there's no dot ball, but it's all very much within a framework of what you'd expect. And Hazelwood probably just needs to develop something just to just mm-hmm. to become a little bit more versatile but CSK have just been they've just been really good fun and it, it is it is bizarre to say that I think what will kind of live in the memory of uh, what, what will probably go down in history with with CSK if they do win this particular season is that it's almost it, they, it kind of forms a neat addendum or a neat mm-hmm. uh, addition to their previous title in 2018 when they come back from the ban they're not allowed to play in Chennai in that season, they have to go and play in Pune because of uh, I actually can't remember the reason off the top of my head, but there was there was some structural reason. It was it was it was something to do with security, and and they basically wasn't safe for them to be in Chennai. And so as a result, they win a title. This team that in their early days 
with their first couple of cycles was defined by their home conditions in Chennai being incredibly spin friendly, dominating with their particular attack that was really designed for that conditions. They then come back and they win a title entirely playing away from home. And that's going to happen again if they win, if they win this one. Obviously, they they play they didn't get to play in Chennai in the first leg because that's the way that it was structured. Um, and then obviously in the UAE, everyone's away from home. But I just think that's that's quite interesting. If you look at the evolution of a side that is coached by not coached, it's essentially is coached by Dhoni, led by Dhoni. You've got two very distinct eras there, you know, a side that's built on one very, very pronounced strength and then a side that, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to exploit that strength and is still really, really performing at the top of the game. I think, I think, I think they are not as good in, a, in an abstract sense as they, as they probably look on paper. They've got a lot of those cricketers who just kind of do what, you know, they find a way. You know, whether it's MS doing that or Shardle finding a way to take a wicket at Golden Arm, et cetera, et cetera. But those kind of moments where like, I think it was encapsulated in that game against Delhi where they had no right to win that game mm. and Dhoni finds a way and they do it too often for you to say it's anything other than, you know, it, it is a culture. There is an, there is a, a feeling in that club that allows them to win those kind of games and whether it's a belief or whether it's, you know, some, some kind of abstract quality, it's, it's, it's increasingly hard to deny it. Even, even if you're, even if you're a Dhoni skeptic, which I would say to an extent I am, you can't deny the effectiveness of that environment that he has built. What are we looking for in the final when we've got Kolkata up against Chennai? These, these two teams that have, you know, that have these different approaches that you've outlined. What are the matchups? Where, the, where does this match likely get won or, won or lost? Well, with Chennai, their 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 power play bowlers are obviously uh, Josh Hazelwood and Deepak Chahar. So they're both very very like wickets, very wicket taking, aggressive new ball bowlers. So KKR's batting in the power play has been defined by being ultra aggressive of Shubman Gill and and, Venk- and Venkatesh. So that's a huge battle in and of itself. Is that if they KKR aren't going to take a backward step, they're going to come out and go really hard. And and Chennai are set up. To accept a bit of a bit of medicine, they'll take a few hits. They'll, you know, a couple of twenty over twenty run overs. That's fine, but they will just think that if they can get those two out, all of a sudden Morgan's in the in the crosshairs. They'll spot that as a as a real opportunity, and you're relying on a couple of players in the middle order in Nitishrana, who's a good player, but not not an absolute elite player. And then you're relying on maybe like Andre Russell being you know half fit and you know trying to hit sixes on one leg. KKR's batting is very top heavy and skewed um, and so they need those good starts and Chennai will be wanting to deny them I think on the flip side in the other innings the battle which you just can't really get away from is Narayan versus Dhoni it's one of the great IPL battles Narayan has dominated him and it feels very you know when, when they've played in recent times they've held Narayan back specifically to target Dhoni now we're maybe at a point that that doesn't need to happen anymore that Narayan is too much of a threat and you need to use him against other excellent players in the in the CSK lineup. But it is a tactical move for a reason because Dhoni, if exposed against solid normal pace bowlers or general lower quality spin, he will try and t- he will take them down. He does have the ability to do that. Whereas for some reason the Ryan just has the mockers on him. He can mm. he can limit him in a way that no other player in the world has ever, really. And so you would expect KKR to keep that up their sleeve, whether it's Morgan doing it from the sidelines or in the middle. I think I think it'll be fascinating. I, KKR match up much better against CSK than any other side in the tournament. They've got the high pace to go at their batsmen. They've got the spin to exploit their lower order batsmen as well. So I, I think on paper, KKR are favourites for me, 
not necessarily because of the quality of the side, but just because of that matchup uh, kind of structure to it all. Uh, but hopefully, it's been a very weird season. It's not been a classic IPL season for obvious reasons, with no fans or limited fans and stretched across two legs. And it's felt a bit a bit meh at times. But there have been brilliant games and brilliant performances, and it's not to undermine it. Um, it will be. It feels like the kind of season which needs an absolute rip snorter of a final to really elevate it, to really give it that, that sense of like. Yeah, I'm. I can't wait for the next IPL to start. When's the auction? When you know, I, I, I want to know all this. I, I, I want to leave not wanting more because it's quite hard to want more of the IPL because there is so much of it. But oh, yeah. I want to leave being like, right, when's all this starting again? Biggest party in the world, kind of thing. So hopefully yeah. Sunday afternoon we'll have an absolute cracker. Um, and I don't really mind who wins, but I would. I would like to. I would like to see uh, Owen Morgan make some runs just for to make the next month of my life a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is the IPL dissected, analysed, examined, done and dusted on the final word. Uh, we'll look at a little more T20 on the other side of what we're doing here with the Australia and India women's series that wrapped up as well. But for now, it's time to get one of the finest statistical minds in the game onto a, a little a little uh, excursion that we like to call Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's the game of nerds, uh, the game that people play with us on our patron page. Here's what happens. We need some help to fund the show. People help us fund the show by sending contributions, but they don't send an ordinary amount of money. They send an amount that relates to cricket in some way. For instance, Mike Meehal Wood has sent through $3.12. 312 relates to cricket in some way. Now, Mike, I happen to know from the internet, is a rugby league writer, but must have an interest in cricket at the same time. And sent through a clue for us, which says, this is actually 31.2. It refers to one former associate bowling to another former associate at the first World Cup game I ever attended. It had to be bowled again and sparked a new world record. Former associates, World Cups, I was thinking someone in Australia who's come over from the UK, it's probably got to involve either 1999 or 2015, but I don't know, where, where did you start with this number, Ben? Well, I, I kind of started off thinking that trying to work out why, you know, why to live would be bold again, obviously maybe a wicket off a noble, and then the idea that it would make history, I was thinking, well, it's going to be a game where someone's been bowled off a no ball and then called back and then got on to make big runs. So that was, I was, I was looking for wickets. Now you can call it cheating if you like, you can call it diligent research if you like, but I went, I went digging into the, uh, into the database and I went through every single world. Oh, that's what it's for. That's the very nature of this game is to is to do the research. Do it's the also what the it's also what the query tool is for. That was why they, mm. we originally founded it. It was with the the stated intention of making the pledge, uh, you know, effective research mm. in the database. I looked at every thirty one point two delivery in a World Cup. I you know second ball of 30, 30 second over. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I went through every every World Cup game and looked at it ball by ball for you know who bowled it, who batted against it, and uh, you know keeping an eye out for the associates. And uh, I went went through. It forensically with the you know it was very tedious but I did it with the knowledge that once I've gone through it I will know the answer now the problem was is that I didn't know the answer I couldn't find it because for all of the uh, all of the research and access to all the information I couldn't actually find one that matched the description 
So I came to you very sadly, you know, with my tail between my legs saying I've gone, I've gone away and I've tried my best, but I, I, I essentially have no, I, 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 I have no answer. Now, I know that we've, we've gone through and tried to tackle it from a different angle by looking at the players, but that didn't seem to yield much either. Well, this this is what I thought because so initially you thought a, a former associate bowling to another former associate. You thought teams, so you thought maybe a team like Afghanistan or a team like Ireland. It's the, gone the, to graduate to four member states. Yeah, yeah. I thought players. I thought uh, players who had played for an associate team and then moved on to play for another team, like for instance Owen Morgan, who we were talking about earlier. So uh, the research I was doing was looking at: is there anything that relates to Owen Morgan being bowled to in in a World Cup game by somebody who used to be an associate player themselves? And this is where it runs into trouble because there are quite a lot of players who were associate players who went on to play for a full member nation, but that full member nation is almost exclusively England. So um, having someone play against that player is difficult. Dirk Nannis played for Netherlands and then went on to play for Australia after that. But that was a pretty brief span and I don't think there was... So So we, you and I were having a chat about this before. What did, what did you dig up on Dirk Nannis bowling to Morgan? There were a couple of occasions. I think it was three matches, one, one in the Blast, one, one in the IPL, and then there was one T20 against the Netherlands. It may well have been that famous, that, that famous win where the Netherlands beat, beat England with the Stuart Broad mm. muck up off the last ball. But it didn't hang together. There was no reference to 31.2. I don't know what no. that would have been, unless it was something incredibly obscure, like the uh, maybe you know, the, pa- the pace of a particularly moonball-delivered, uh, you know, mm. wicket-taking delivery. That might have been it. But it, to be honest, within that framework, there was, no- there was nothing I could spot, no. even though it unless- fit the other criteria. Yeah, and we would have to interpret, if it were the overs thing, we'd have to interpret that as... Uh, the second ball of the 13th over of the second innings of a yes, T20 exactly, match exactly, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to get to 31.2. Which I know, I, you know, I do, I do listen to the podcast, obviously, and I, I do know Nerd Pledge. I would say that that would be a reach even for this feature yeah. <laughs> to, to, go with that, to go with that one. <laughs> and so then we, we spent quite a bit of time, Ben and I, looking for um, players who played for an associate team and then another team. So Rolf van der Merwe played for South Africa and for the Netherlands, but did it the other way around, was one of those players who wrapped up his larger team international career and then went on to qualify for an associate team later. And so in terms of players who could be... So, so I, I, just, I feel like, I don't know, when I look at Mike's name... I feel like there's an Irish connection. And so I, th- I think it, my gut says it has to involve Ireland and it probably has to involve Owen Morgan. That's, that's my vibe, but I can't find where the 31.2 fits. So congratulations, Mike. You have successfully thwarted the combined efforts of Ben and myself. My um, professional is reputation is in the gutter after in that. In tatters, in yeah. absolute tatters. Um, How will I but- come back from this? The beauty of of Nerd Pledge, Mike, is that you can get on get on the Discord channel for Nerd Pledge, and you can send us a clue, or you can send us a DM, or whatever, uh, and 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 let us know, and we'll come back to it on Story Time, which is our full length Nerd Pledge show on the weekends. And the other good news, Mike, is that you get to give someone a slab of Brick Lane beer. When are you coming out to Australia next, Ben? I'm I'm out for the, I'm out for the third test. I'll be out for Christmas. All being well, right. Well, then you, at that point, when people are allowed to do things uh, in Melbourne, presumably, we will be able to 
obtained for you a delicious cold brick lane. They make all kinds of beers. The One Love Pale Ale, that's one I, I might slide in front of you along the countertop first. Um, they're very good friends of the show, a Melbourne brewery who do good things. Uh, low alcohol options as well if you're not really into the drinking so much uh, and just into liquids rather than that particular component of the liquids, um, bricklanebrewing.com. And uh, Mike Michal Wood, you will be sent out a slab to send to whoever you want. It could be you. You can keep it. You can send it on. This is the beauty of the Brick Lane giveaway. You will be Santa Claus of beer. Uh, let's take our mid-show breather. We're probably past mid-show, let's be honest. We, we will have a less long second bit. But let's, let's breathe in, breathe out, and then we'll be back. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. Once a month it happens. That is how monthly magazines work. And as it happens, it's happening on this very day. The day this podcast episode first goes out will be the day that the next Wisden Cricket Monthly Edition is released. The greatest cricket magazine in the world. It's looking ahead to the T20 World Cup for the men in the UAE. It's looking at the summer of county cricket that happened. And leading it right off the top, the copy from WMWCM says... Ben Jones, Crickviz analyst and author, opens our bumper World Cup preview by assessing England's chances of winning the trophy, um, which I think we've partly covered already on our show, but it must be nice to have top billing, Ben. Your name is up in lights. It's, it's finally, it's where I deserve to be, obviously. It's been a, it's been a long old journey. No, it's very, it's very exciting. I was, um, when, when Phil Walker, obviously editor-in-chief for the magazine, asked me if I wanted to do a, do a preview piece for the magazine, for the, for the World Cup, it was very much with a you know a, a fairly a fairly small remit of you know why is T Twenty taken over the world? There's a thousand words. Can you can you just tick that off for me? And I was like okay yeah fine. <laughs> but, but actually it was it was nice just to take a bit of a breather. And I'm, you know normally as a as a writer I normally have to focus on fairly specific microcosmic stuff. And actually it was nice just to take a step back and really look at yeah how far T20 has come and the the, the strengths and weaknesses of it as a as a format as, as an industry as a you know as, as, a, as a spectacle on field and a, a you know a phenomenon off the field um, and, and to actually kind of you know cons- consider where it stands not from a kind of angry man shouts at cloud kind of perspective mm. of you know this damn pajama stuff but actually you know objectively why is this game so so popular. Why do people love watching this? Why is it developing and moving faster than than any other form of cricket in the world? And it was nice just to just to sit with that. And then there's a bit of there's a bit of team prediction in there as well. I do stick my neck out and try and say who's going to win the whole thing and who's going to be good for who. Um, you have to buy the magazine to find out. But it's a, it was it's a uh, it was it was nice to uh, nice to let myself loose and actually do some proper writing rather than all this numbers nonsense. So they've undersold you really by just saying you open it by assessing England's chances of winning the trophy. You've assessed a whole world beyond that. There's a galaxy in your piece. A world beyond England. I don't know. Imagine such a thing. It was uh, mm. no. It was it was very much. It was very much started out as as, as one thing and, and then developed. But it was 
I, I think it's, it's partnered by some, uh, some other slightly more sceptical pieces of, uh, around T20. And I think that's probably for the best. That's very wisdom. Very, very, you know, we were flung to opposite ends of the centrist of the, uh, of the question time panel, me and Lawrence Booth. And Lawrence took a rather more, uh, concerned view of the situation as, as, as he rightly should. You know, it's important to have a bit of balance, but I was very much there for the T20 loving. Um, and that is, you know, generally my role in things. And I'm, I'm very happy to have this. Well, there will be a bit of the T20 loving in this edition. They've got, an interview with Karan Pollard, who's captaining West Indies. Um, they've got Mohammad Rizwan from Pakistan, an interview with him as well. The guy who just keeps piling up runs in T20 cricket, particularly um, extended profiles of all of the 16 teams, the county files section going through uh, all of the stuff that happened over the last summer, the trophy winners in Warwickshire and Kent, um, interviews with a stack of players in there. And the columnists, Andrew Miller, writing on player power, uh, Lawrence Booth, as Ben just mentioned, Adam Collins, friend of the show, in there on basically on hashtag Ashes Bants and why all of the bullshit before an Ashes series is the most insufferable and worst part, why, why we almost dread the Ashes coming around now instead of looking forward to it just because of all the absolute bullshit that will be spun of, you know, some body who used to play said something on a radio show and somebody else has hit back on their own radio show. And I, li- I, li- oh I like gosh. the uh, – uh, my favourite thing about Ash's Bants is um, the, the, the fact that the, the, the headline for it, all these articles will be uh, maybe 35 words long. And then there are quotation marks around one word. <laughs> there will be the lead-in is extraordinarily long, and then the quotation yeah. marks being like "poor," and it's like you know England squad derided <laughs> as below poor. And it's just like okay, well, yeah, yeah. We can, we've, you've really you've really put some mayo on that one. To, yeah, uh, to go with and it. there it's it's always like England legend hits back an Australian Test great, and <laughs> you know it's 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 Ryan Sidebottom. Like talking about Xavier Doherty or something. Anyway, interview with John Crawley uh, in there speaking about England players who were a bit at the, the periphery on a, a national level. Tamal Mills about coming back to the England team and Andy Zaltzman on the number zero. Uh, so all of that's going on in WCM. The important thing is that you can subscribe to it for a very cheap rate, six-month subscription, £10, 15 bucks Australian, easy and ridiculously cheap. There's a link. It's a bit.ly link, bit.ly slash WCM TFW. That's Western Cricket Monthly, the final word, WCM TFW. Anyway, it's in the show notes. You don't even need to remember it. You just need to click it and read the magazine for the next six months because uh, that will be what you'll be able to do. Best cricket mag in the world. Get it. G'day, guys. This is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Ben Jones, my co-host for the day. Uh, Thank you again for being with us. It's nice to, you know, mix things up occasionally between me and Adam and just just spice up the relationship by by looking outside the home. Okay, well, I'm, I'm worried that about the way that you phrase that now. I don't think this that was going to be that kind of Zoom call. Uh, I was I was thinking earlier, it's quite nice, actually, because the first time I was on podcast was with Freddie a couple of years ago when we were in Perth, and that was that was lovely, and we had a nice little chat, and you were all very nice. And then came on last year, and I was it was just me, mm-hmm. but it was still you, you two talking to me and asking me questions, mainly about the IPL. Again, it's, it is my role. And then today, Adam, Adam's gone. I am assuming that my next 
my next mm. appearance on the podcast as my as all of my friends and colleagues slowly solo. fade away it's just giving me solo whittering <laughs> for an hour which some people would say it, it is probably what this podcast has already been um, but, but I'm, I'm enjoying the direction of travel more than anything else uh yes you it will it will be all you it'll be the ben jones variety hour um before too long the, fi- the... the final final word no doubt <laughs> Um, the Australia-India women's series that, that went on, I found this a fascinating series because it's, it's the multi-format sort of deal. Australia end up winning it, was it 11 points to five? I, I kept thinking it was, at one point it was nine to five, so I kept making Dolly Parton jokes in the OBO, but um, 11 to five in the end, which looks significant, but I, India should have won this series. And, and it wasn't just that they cocked it up in the second of the one day. So so this the, the sort of progress goes they get steamrolled in the first one day. They should win the second one, but the ball's slippery and there's a couple of no balls for height in the last over and, and Australia's able to pretty much fluke a, uh, a win in the run chase. There was a stone dead leg before we get that wasn't given. There was no DRS. Australia escaped with it and India also botched it with some bad fielding and so on. And then they won the third one day. But the test match, they dominate, they're on top throughout, except they lose two and a half sessions to rain and they can't push for a result, so they get a draw. And then the first of the T20s, they're killing the Australians. They come out and just flog them to all parts. They're, what, they're about a 160-odd from 16 overs, I reckon. So they were, they were on track for their highest ever score, India. And then they get rained off and don't get back on that day. And then Australia are able to... They just win the second T20, which is India defending a low score and very nearly getting away with it again. And again, it's some bad fielding and so on that that lets them down. And then Australia win the last one more comprehensively. But that first T20 and the Test match, you flip the points for those, you know, give India those points and they would have won the series um, essentially. So it was interesting to see this team. And I'm used to seeing an Indian women's team that when in an adverse situation falls apart, that was generally the go for India was that if they were, you know, if, if it were a spinning deck, like a really slow, horrible sort of pitch and they were defending 115 in a T20, they could do it and win. But if you if they were behind in the game on a good batting surface, they would generally go to pieces. And this team doesn't. They don't give up. They lose a few top-order wickets and then they rally. Like there's this real spirit to this current Indian women's team with so many young players, you know, with a, a couple of teenagers in Shafali Verma and Richard Ghosh leading the line, uh, Jamima Rodriguez, who's only 21, and the three of them just counter-attacking, like really taking it up to the opposition. It's It's been an absolute thrill to see the development of this team and this sort of next generation coming through from India. Yeah, I, I haven't watched a, a huge amount of this series, but I, I've got to... I was lucky enough to watch a lot of uh, Rodrigues in the in, in the hundred in the in the English summer, and she's an absolute joy to watch. Like in terms of how how aggressive she is, how how talented she is, and in terms of executing that that intent. And you, I mean, it's probably too much, uh, you know, broad historicization to say that you know, it, yeah, if the if the blokes were doing this, we'd be saying it's the power of the IPL and the effectiveness of like they're used to the big stage, and you know, it's all about that. Whereas you know, for all sorts of reasons, I know you want. to touch on it there you know there is no there is no women's equivalent but it just shows that actually there's that inbuilt intrinsic 
within the side equality that 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 ability to never to you know never say die never say never to keep fighting back and to keep going as well as being all tremendously talented you know it's not all mental strength there's a lot of skill and and verve to their play so I think that's it's, it's quite interesting not quite interesting uh, kind of angle to it to not be able to just lean on those big cliche factors of just like oh well you know they do this all the time it's like no they, mm. they still have they play more cricket than they used to but they they still have limited opportunity to to show showcase these skills and to showcase this character and so yeah well you say well, well as you say they while they went down 11-5 it's it, it does leave with that sense of almost like a kind of losing draw or that, that, that there's again there's a there's a good movement at there there's a, there's a good progression there's a good uh, a good momentum to the way that they're playing their cricket just needs to just needs to kick on in terms of the actual results and the excitement has been evident in Australia because the uh, WBBL starts today there are eight Indian players in the women's big bash uh, this this is unprecedented. I mean, over the entire first six seasons, there have been three Indian players play. Um, Smriti Amandana played two seasons. Veda Krishnamurti played one season and Harman Preet's played three seasons, but they've generally been partial seasons. It's been coming over for a few games before having to go somewhere else for an India women's engagement and, and deal with that or for the, the sort of fake mini women's IPL thing they did last year that clashed with the, the Big Bash. It's there's excitement around these players and it just seems so much more glaring now that there's still no women's IPL on the horizon, even if it were with fewer teams, even if it were with four teams to start with or something like that. But, you know, they've played this little T20 challenge thing, they call it, that's an exhibition game basically. Started off being one match, then it ended up being three teams playing four matches. But it's so paltry when sat next to the IPL, it's so obvious that it's so such a, a token sort of gesture. But what is the deal? Like, why, why is the BCCI so resistant to doing it when we're seeing in Australia and in England that not only can it work, but it can start to become commercially attractive. It can start to become something that can be an earner uh, for the board to have another league to open it up to new audiences. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The comparison, obviously, there's in the discussions in, in Australia this week, I've, I've, I've only followed it from afar, but with the idea of changing the name of the WBBL and that being a proposed idea, if one was trying to give it a clear and separate branding and mm. the idea that with the 100, it was the men's 100 and the women's 100, and that was a very concerted effort from the ECB. Well, it was the other way around. It was the 100 men's competition and the 100 women's competition. Yeah, well, yeah, so they, were both, exactly. they were both the 100. Yeah, first. exactly. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. But you know what I mean? Mm. It's that it's parity of branding. It's parity of discussion. Yeah, is the idea. Whereas, as you say, the the, the 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 kind of fake out IPL is so obviously different in branding. It's different. It's not the same teams. It's not even like it's you know it's KKR playing one game of the mm. for women's IPL. It, it is such a distinct product. I mean, it the reasons just just randomly made up teams, the Trailblazers and the Supernovas. Well, I mean, and you know, all all, all teams are made up when they first start out, and maybe the Trailblazers yeah. or the Blazer Trail, you know, throughout the, the the coming coming decade or so, and they will be mm. one of the new teams. Maybe they don't need to have parity of teams, and if there is going to be an IPL, I mean. But in terms of marketing and in terms of getting that push to audiences, it's the yes. thing that makes the most sense most easily is exactly. to is to, to have teams that match those that exist. I, I don't know enough about the economics or the, the socio stuff behind it to say, you know, why it's not happened yet. Well, one thing I do think is quite interesting is with the, when, you, when you mentioned about there being you know, so many Indian players in BBL this season, 
and you said obviously that that immediately makes you think about what you know the women's IPL. What it made me immediately think of is the fact that you would you don't get the, the Indian men in in the BBL. No. Now that those two things obviously go hand in hand in in the 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 arrival of a women's IPL would presumably I, I, I maybe I'm probably speaking out of turn in terms of it's not my absolute area of expertise, mm. but would be shortly followed by the removal of Indian players from overseas leagues. Now that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. That might you might say that you know creating the product in the same ways. You know you can only watch Virat Kohli bat for India and RCB if you can only watch Jimmy Rodriguez bat for India and mm. her KKR side. Then maybe that creates a better product. Maybe if Shafali Verma is limited in the way that she is exposed, she can as a result become a more intriguing and scarce product. So I think that yeah. that. I, I, I would be nervous of the, you know, not, not to go all slippery slope, but I'd be nervous of the immediate knock-ons. But at the same time, it's it's going to happen at some point. So mm. we're going to have to have these conversations about, you know, whether or not the leagues around the world get, you know, significantly affected by it. The BBL has done absolutely fine without, well, so the, the WBBL has done absolutely fine without any prolo- you know, prolonged uh, mm. existence of the women, of, of Indian women cricketers there. It's clearly not an absolute prerequisite for success, so we shouldn't be too worried about the idea that they're going to come this year and then never come again. It, it, it's all—it's all a bit murky and a bit predictive, but I—I I, I do think that it'll, it'll, when it happens, there'll be lots of un, uh, kind of unspotted, unforesighted knock-ons, mm. which we probably just need to be a bit careful of. I—I I think that it, it's almost a—it's an abstract concern because India's women have not been a presence in overseas domestic leagues anyway you know they've been a, a a few players have played a few seasons but they've been a pretty minimal presence it's been it's been England Australia South Africa and New Zealand that have provided most of the the players to the caravan that move around between the England domestic season and the Australian domestic season chiefly those are the only two leagues or, or seasons that are lucrative lucrative enough to draw a lot of overseas players and so you would think that you would hope that the BCCI would see it as uh, free development of their players to send them to those leagues and and have them play there rather than it needing to be intellectual property to be protected, which is how they view their their men's players and the IPL. But, you know, one is already a massively lucrative property. One's something that you're trying to build up. It would seem sensible to, you know, allow it the opportunity to build up by by having them play elsewhere. Uh, The the Shikapandi delivery that went – this is – if people haven't seen anything of this series except one thing, this is the one thing they will have seen. This was the match where India were trying to defend 120 or so, 118, I think it was. And Shikapandi bowls Elisa Healy in the first over, gets hit for four, and then bowls one of the freakiest deliveries you will ever see. I mean, it's not unknown in the women's game. Megan Shute moves the ball a long way. Jess Kerr moves the ball a long way. And Shikapande does this, but it happens to hit the top of middle stump, which you know means it gets replayed a whole lot more. But this is a gorgeous piece of bowling. This, When I was watching this live, it looks like out of the hand from a right armour, it looks like it's actually swinging away from the batter and then starts to swing in. And it's starting about a metre outside off stump and then it hits the pitch and then it comes back so savagely that it hits the top of middle stump. I mean, Healy has no chance, absolutely none, and walks off just shaking her head saying, well, what am I supposed to do about that? But it was quite a thrill, you know, I was watching that match live and then seeing the way it took off around the world online over the next 24 hours or so. Well, it's one of the great things about, you know, the modern game is is the the ease with which these moments are 
transported around the world. You know, it, whether it's an amazing catch or you know, an amazing shot or a wicket like Pandy's, the opportunity to people who aren't watching the game to to leap into action and just catch this supreme moment of skill is it's massive for the way that the game's developing. But from an analytical point of view, I thought it was quite interesting. Just to obviously, I looked at it and was just like. Well, holy hell! How's how has that ball moved that much? And I looked at the um, looked at the ball tracking data that we got from the game, and it, it it moved through the air. It did move a significant amount. It was a couple of degrees, which is quite good given that it was it was very short. But it was the fact that it moved so much off the pitch. It moved two point five degrees off the surface. That doesn't sound that much. It's a small number, but that's higher than Nathan Lyon's average turn as a Test match spinner. <laughs> So you're talking about a seamer who is running yeah. out and bowling with a new ball and yeah. basically bowling a Nathan Lyon off break that hits middle stump. I think there have only been two deliveries in women's T20 internationals which have turned more, or sorry, mm. wickets that have, that have turned more from seamers. Now, that is limited, obviously, because for a lot of those matches that the women in, the women T20 players play, uh, there is no ball tracking data. So it's a little bit limited. I'm, I'm being a bit cheeky with it, but I just think it was one of those deliveries where I looked at it and I was like, that is going to be the top of a list and I need to find that <laughs> list because it's just, it was outrageous. You know, It's almost like that thing of like, I often talk about it when I'm, if, I'm, if I'm watching a football match and the camera is at the wrong height because it's at a particular ground. Goodison Park um, is, it kind of demands that the camera is lower. And so it, it kind of distorts the way you watch the game. It felt almost a bit like you were watching that kind of thing where like, is the camera like wrong? Cause my sense of perspective of like, how has the ball come back that much? It's occasionally when they like on Fox, when they'll occasionally show like a ball from mid, from mid off. And it's like, and you're, you're, you're almost, you're, everything feels a bit askew. It felt mm-hmm. like it felt like that. It was what it was like. You know, your sense of perspective had been completely discombobulated. It was it was an amazing delivery, and the fact that it's Dahili as well just kind of puts the you know it makes it even better. Because if it's you know if it's tailender, you'd be like you know you, that were wasted on the. But actually, it's yeah. like start of the match, new ball in a tight defence. It properly just like you know lights the flame under it all. It was cracking. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's one of the one of those uh, kind of little moments that you just think oh, I, 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 I look I look forward to that coming back around on Twitter. 12 months time we've been like 12 months ago Shaka Pandy did this and being like yes <laughs> yes a, a bunch of fire emojis and, <laughs> and, and away you go the Right, we have to do this. I'm sorry, we have to do this, but we have to talk about the Ashes a little bit. It's, it's just contractually obliged on this show. The fucking Ashes, yeah, they're, they're happening. I wanted to talk to you about this because England's squad came out, and nobody would know more about England's squad than Ben Jones. But there are there are things that stand out, and there are things that that don't. And I I know I made this point with um, a little bit of sarcasm sauce during the week online. But England, they've spent the last few years talking about preparing for the Ashes. We've we've lamented Chris Silverwood's weird singular focus that playing New Zealand was preparation for the Ashes, playing India, preparation for the Ashes. Uh, everything is preparing for the Ashes and having spent four years preparing for the Ashes, they're bringing across a crop of seam bowlers Right arm, medium, yeah, Ollie Robinson's there, yeah, Mark Wood is there, but it really stood out to me that it was Anderson, Broad, Wokes and Overton. And I thought, hmm, when's the last time that Anderson, Broad, Wokes and Overton played together? I thought, was that was that Perth 2017? So uh, I went and looked it up and it was, yep, the four of them with a bit of Moen Ali spin, Broad, none for 150, 
Uh, Wokes won for 130. They all went for over 100 runs in the innings. So the so the, was that the March day? Them. The two, the two yeah. marches, yeah. It, no, that was that was Perth. It was the Smith double and the the Mitchell Marsh 181. Yeah, that's what I that. mean. Yeah. It was that, yeah, that innings. The, 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 yeah, the two marshes were in Sydney when, when Sean went big as well. Gotcha. So, look, not a great day for no. them, but it was interesting that you would look at that and think, yeah, those are the four. Let's get those four guys back for another crack and see if things pan out differently. Uh, not to say Steve Smith will be the same force that he was. Who knows? He doesn't play test cricket anymore um, because he plays for Australia and we don't really bother doing that. But... I mean, did you just look at that squad and kind of go head in hands or was it more like, you know, some people saying, oh, well, injuries, you know, they couldn't do anything differently. But they could. They still didn't have to pick the players that they picked and they still didn't have to build towards it over the last four years in the way that they've had where a couple of injuries makes that the only option to go with. Yeah, that's probably a a very fair point, I think. When, When you focus and publicly focus on a series which is three years off, two years off, one year off, and then in the last six months it all goes to part, you're always going to look a bit foolish. It needed everything to go to plan. I would say my immediate response, my immediate reaction when looking at the squad was one of, you know, like what could have been. Because I do genuinely think that if England had gone over with essentially peak Ben Stokes, Joffre Archer, Mark Wood, backed up by James Anderson or Broad doing, you know, the dibbly-dobbler, top of off building pressure mm-hmm. kind of thing. I do think they had a very, very good chance of, of really pushing Australia because Australia are not that good. Um, and, and whilst it, you know, Australia are much, much better in home conditions than England are in any, anywhere in the world, you'd say that if England had been able to keep that group of players together, they did have a clear strategy. It's just that their strategy was reliant on the fitness of players who are often unfit and the kind of player who often gets unfit. Mm. We're like, we're, we're going to pick all these like really, you know, these got 90 mile an hour bowlers. They'll definitely be fit because they never mm. get injured. Those guys, that's, 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 that's the one thing we all know about fast bowlers. It's the most durable mm. skill. Um, so that's, I, that, that's what really stood out to me was people saying, oh, well, it's not their fault that Ollie Stone got injured and Joffrey Archer got injured. Ollie Stone has spent his whole life injured. He came out of the womb yeah. injured, you know, uh, and, and Archer has had injury problems for, at least the last year, like there, there have been big red warning signs over overhead, and yeah, sure. Twenty nineteen, when Archer was bowling at Lords, of course, we were saying, how incredible could it be if this guy gets going in Perth or Brisbane? And we wanted to see that, and we're not going to see that, and it's deeply disappointing. And hopefully, we will at least get to see it in four years' time. But for the last twelve months or so, the prospect of him coming to the Ashes was in no way a lock. He yeah. had all kinds of injury issues and uh, was being used poorly by his team and all of the rest of it. So to to have that be the the platform on which you're relying to to build your campaign just didn't make any sense to me. I completely and then agree. To have, like the, the, the Chris Silverwood era is a bloody weird one for mine. So he's, he's coaching the side and he's now the sole selector. What that means, as far as I can tell, is that there will be an inbuilt conservatism to his selections because he has to win the next test match. He, he will be so concerned about the immediate result. And you saw that all through the English summer where... And I think it basically comes back to the Stuart Broad cracking the shits um, interview on TV from last summer where Broad was mad at being left out of the side. Silverwood hasn't dared to leave a senior bowler out 
if they're fit. So Broad, Anderson, Wokes played all through the summer whenever they were available. They played a lot in India as well, or, or um, Broad and Anderson did anyway, when it wasn't necessarily in their interest. Picking four quicks in a pink pole test match in India is got to be the most insane piece of selection I've ever seen. These are all Silverwood ideas or sort of the absence of ideas. And what it has meant is that there has been no preparation for other players that he's talked up. So Ollie Stone got to play one test match and then got injured. Shakib Mahmood didn't play a test match uh, as, as the kind of bowler who is quick, who can reverse it and who might be useful in Australia. So Silverwood comes out and says, there will be no debuts in Australia. We will not be handing out test caps during the Ashes. And then doesn't play Shakib Mahmood during the English summer, doesn't play Matt Parkinson when... Uh, having a leg spinner might be useful at some point in Australia, a place where visiting finger spinners average about 90 and doesn't give those players an opportunity. Even someone like George Garton might have been worth it as as a possible variation of an option. I'm sure you'd have other suggestions, but I think it, it doesn't just come down to the players who might have been available in the last three or four months to play a test match. It was more like where was the longer-range planning for all the talk of planning to actually have a number of options that you could fall back on when injuries were inevitably going to be a part of whatever squad was eventually selected? I think a lot of it is that England have got a lot of players with quite extreme skills, or you know, skills in inverted commas. You've got guys who are really quick but not necessarily that effective. Like Mark Wood with the Dukes ball in England is not a particularly good bowler, but he is extraordinarily quick, probably the fastest bowler in the world. You've also, but you've got batsmen who are like, you know, batsmen like Zach Crawley, who are incredibly stylish and super aggressive and, you know, but can't really play the swinging ball. You've got guys like Dom Sibley, who is the exact opposite. And because of that, what you end up with is whenever any one of these guys drops out the side, the guy coming in is so often a completely different kind of player. And so it's very hard to pin down a kind of overall style. Now, for all the issues that England had under Trevor Bayliss in terms of winning test matches away from home, they never lost at home. And it was because there was a consistent idea of the kind of player they wanted to pick. They wanted to bat really deep. They wanted to pick lots of all-rounders and they wanted to focus on just swinging the damn ball because that worked really well. And they wanted to pick aggressive batsmen. And whilst, you know, Jason Roy is, is the obvious kind of peak of that strategy not working, you know, he's not a test opener, not first-class opener, there was at least a kind of methodology behind it. And I think the problem with England have got now is that the players that they're selecting from are so so extreme you know, in their styles it makes it very difficult to have that consistent approach to selection, any kind of philosophy. I think in terms of the actual absences, I do think that, I think the absence of Parkinson is, is a really real missed opportunity because I think that Parkinson is just a very, very good bowler who should have played test cricket by now. I, he's not, he's probably not a better bowler than Jack Leach, um, but he's a different kind of bowler than Jack Leach and he's certainly a better bowler than Don Betts. So the fact that England are going to Australia with Jack Leach firing, if you want to think that he's going to be a, a you know a defensive bowler, probably bowling a lot of overs and you know pinning on a on a spot, that's fair enough. I I, I don't think it'll work tremendously well, but I can completely see the logic. Um, but picking Bess, I don't I don't see the advantage of it. it he have he, he would have to play out of his skin to do as well as I think Parkinson would do out there, which is given that Parkinson is an unusually accurate wrist spinner. He turns the ball an astonishing amount. Those are two quite good things for a spinner to have, to be accurate and to rag the ball. <laughs> and actually to be a guy who is confident 
seemingly, you know, from white ball cricket, having a bit of that, you know, I'm, I am the match winner. Now, he's not going to be the best bowler in that England attack, but he might be the most likely to turn up and, and win England the game, barring Mark Wood. He's a guy who could, you know, if they have to bat last and on, on those, we saw in the India series that those pitches didn't really get worse. There were a lot of pitches that started flat, got a bit lively on day two, bit for the seamers, and then just went flat again. And actually, you can't rely on your spinners being, you know, Joe Root's not going to take wickets in, in Australia because the, board, mm. the pitches are not going to deteriorate. So you are talking about guys who can either just through their sheer quality, which maybe Leach is good enough to do that, maybe, mm-hmm. or the fact that they are a slightly more extreme kind of bowler in Parkinson. I think that's that's a shame. And yeah. also, I would, I would say... And, and that well, stood out sorry. for me in, a, in one of the county games recently with with uh, Warwickshire trying to bat out for a draw on the last day and Sibley stonewalling it and Parkinson bowling him behind his legs as, um, you know, tried to play a little bit of a sweep shot. But, you know, it was a dead pitch. It went nowhere. The match was drawn. But that was the kind of moment of, like, there was that breakthrough of yeah. a stonewalling defensive player who gets out in an unusual way because he's facing an unusual style of bowling with an unusual amount of turn. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's completely fair. And I, I, don't, I don't want people to think that Parkinson is some kind of sort of Damocles, you know, he's going to come in and, and solve the series. Like I, I don't think England would win if they picked Parkinson, but I do think they would perform better. I think, I think, I think that's it. that is an issue. I think the other thing I would say appropriately, given the example you just said on, on Sibley, is that England have made a huge thing, as well as the high, the high pace strategy which they've been banging on about is the idea that they're going to bat long once and they're going to bat big and they're going to you know they're happy to just play old-fashioned test cricket and Sibley exemplifies that better than anyone he is an extraordinarily defensive player and he has basically gone from being very good last year very good in 2020 in in test cricket and then he's had a rough run this this summer and despite the fact that he exemplifies if they do have a strategy and, and a philosophy He's probably the player who best exemplifies it. He's gone and he's gone out of the team. And I think he's gone out of the team at the moment when I think he would, would have probably gone and had his best series because the conditions where he's played best so far in Test cricket were in South Africa. Now, obviously, differences between South Africa and Australia, but they're similar. There, there's, there's, a, mm. there's, a, there's a similarity in the way, in the pattern of play, i.e., the ball going very big early and swinging a lot early and it being bouncy and hard and all those cliches. But then it, flattens out and it's about getting through that early stage disproportionately matters. Mm. Now we, we talk about it last just year that you know we're looking at Rohit Sharma and Shubman Gill just running it around Australia for for, for you know a month and a half. England haven't got anyone as good as those guys. They haven't got guys who are going to be ultra attacking openers unless Zach Crawley has the series of his life, which again he could, I, mm. I think that England would have been better served backing Sibley with his weird technique and maybe he's going to get nicked off by Cummins a few times but that's true of a lot of players Cummins is a good bowler Hazelwood's a good bowler it's not you know it's not a badge of your lack of quality that you nick off or you keep getting bowled by these guys but Sibley Sibley has something I think he has a particular kind of mindset and with his weird technique which does get slated disproportionately I think I don't really quite know why it's because he's genuinely hideous to watch like he's he's the the player in my entire lifetime that I would least prefer to watch. Like I, I 
feel a sense of relief when Rory Burns gets on strike when they're wow. batting together because I get to watch Rory Burns instead of Dom Sibley. That's how bad it is. Well, I think so, Rory Burns is actually quite a nice player to watch. I know that we just, I think we disagree on uh, on quite how good he is. I think I remember you saying after in, in the pub after his edge baston turn, saying that he'd uh, he'll never make another international turn, <laughs> which I think which I think was probably slightly overstating it. Who knows why? Um, <laughs> but there is a, there is an understanding there that he is not necessarily an elite player. He's actually kicked on quite a lot, and I think Burns. I don't think Burns will do particularly well in Australia because of the way he plays banks. I think you'll I think you'll get clothes lined a lot, particularly into Cummins around the wicket, and that you know again no great shame in it. But playing those kind of rising deliveries, I think he doesn't quite have the technique for it, and and I don't. I certainly think that Hasib Hamid doesn't, to be honest, because the way he plays with low hands as well. I, I'd love Hamid to do well in Australia. He's yeah, you know, what a what a story. He's such an amazing guy, and I, I would love him to to flourish. But it doesn't feel like his tour. Probably feels like a bit a bit early, and maybe not his conditions. So I'd have rather seen Sibley Sibley give it a go. But again, it's all mm. it's fiddling around the edges. If England, you know, if England had had the injuries that they've had and then picked the squad that I reckon they should have picked, they're probably still not going to win a test. Yeah. Because, it, because what, they're not like can they, if, if they are to win something, like how can they go about it that, Mark that might actually work? It's Mark, it's Mark Wood and Joe Root. It's Joe Root continuing to have one of the great test years. And I, you know, I'm talking to the, the man of the man of the Joe Root run thread. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, preach to the converted, but he is a, he is in a phenomenal spot. And if he can carry that through, then you know, it could be Vaughan in 03, but it could also be Pajara in, you know, eighteen nineteen. It could be mm. I'm carrying my team to a series victory or certainly to a number of wins or however you want to frame it. I think Oli could have a really good series. I think he's very well suited um, to Bassi in Australia, particularly if they get off to any kind of good start and he's coming in against an old ball. I do think that he is phenomenally talented player and you know anyone who watched his uh his his exploits at the oval towards the end of the season against Glamorgan in one of the weirdest flattest most boring games of cricket I've ever seen in my life when he was just churning through you know 200 250 just looks so comfortable on roads when the pitch is flat he is as good as anyone I've ever seen and we talk about Australian pitches being flat it is true now they're not like you know we don't get lively spicy pitches anymore not since I'm trying to think the, the last genuinely you know, spicy pitch I can remember in Australia was Perth, pro- Perth for the India test Perth, in twenty eight. Perth was the one was I was gonna good. say, yeah. That was well that yeah. that was amazing. But that was ten tests ago, fifteen tests ago. Yeah. No. But it, it was it's a while now. I mean I'd love I'd love the ashes to be played on those pitches because it would bring England into it. Because I think that the other guy who is a genuine potential match winner is Mark Wood. Mark Wood with a kookaburra ball, he is quick enough to frighten anyone in that team. Um, and I also think that he is good enough when he's got a kookaburra ball in his hand. With the Dukes, he can't really control it as much. And I think he often gets, I, th- I think England will probably misuse him. The way that Root seems to approach pace bowling is that he, see, he, he sees him as just, you know, I, so, you, so you should probably be bowling really long spells around the wicket, bouncing it and wasting your energy. That seems to be the way that Root manages high pace. Yeah, but you're, they, you're Neil Wagner. Hello, we have yeah. picked you, Neil Wagner. The existence of Neil Wagner has, has yeah. done Joffre Archer's career no end of harm because it's like, well, if he can do it, it's like, yeah, he's bowling 78 mile an hour. Joe, it's like, like mm. he's bowling bowling short balls, but they're not quick. Yeah, he also sleeps on a bed of broken glass because he enjoys <laughs> it. Like he's a different cat. He's a different kind of human being. Whereas Mark Wood is, you know, pretends that he's got an imaginary horse with him all the time. He's a, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a he's a different kind of. He's not a sucker for punishment in quite the same way. But I do think that Woods, if you look through that squad, I think Robinson could have a, a good series. 
because I think he is a I think he is a very interesting bowler in the way he constructs his you know the way he constructs his overs. He's a, he is a thinking player. He's not Craig Overton is a similar kind of bowler in terms of being tall and releasing it from a great height, but he just bangs it on a length, really. Overton's not necessarily that nuanced to bowler, whereas Robinson is a bit more, moves around the crease, he tries different things, he thinks batsman out. Um, I, th- I think he could have a, a solid series, but he's not the kind of bowler that's going to devastate Australia. He's mm. probably more the kind of supporting role. If if they are going to lay a glove on Australia across the summer, I think it's going to come down to Mark Wood, um, which automatically limits how many tests you can win because he's not playing more than three. <laughs> because he is he's made of uh, he is made of the glass on which Wagner sleeps. Yeah, yeah. He, I can't see him playing more than two at full effectiveness, to be honest. And, yeah. Um, we we have been told that you know the British Lions squad will be out there and they could pick players from that. But Silverwood has already said they won't be giving any debuts. So well, the Lions squad, I think, impossible. is I think it is interesting. Obviously, you know, there's probably a, there's an, to an extent you, you have to take it with a pinch of salt, don't you? And say that's a line, and you know, if they're two 0 down after two tests. I'm I'm in Australia. I'll be taking my kit um, because you can you can slide into that side pretty easily as we've seen down the years. I do think that the one guy who could yeah could come across is Saqib Mahmood, um, who's going to be in the line squad. I'm assuming um, who's very very sharp, very very quick, and reverse swings the ball. He is the kind of guy who could be a bit of a difference maker and could suddenly become the kind of designated sacred cow when England are mm. you know when when Australia are three hundred for two and the, and it's Craig Overton bobbing in going at two and a half runs per over, not looking like he's going to draw a false shot. <laughs> People are going to be like, why why isn't Saqib in the side? Why is yeah. why isn't he playing? He he's got very much got that quality to him. I think in twenty eight in twenty seventeen seen it with Butler wasn't it Butler was the guy that everyone was like why isn't he in the side and it's like well mm. he's not that good he's a good, good yeah. player but he's not he's, he's not incredible um, that's so- what I kept thinking every every time the news reports were saying Josh Butler might not come for the Ashes I was like what the guy who averages 30 um, and you know has to be, fair, yeah, the other, to be fair, the other guy that does that captains Australia and he seems to be very, very <laughs> secure in his job. I think Butler will, Butler will do fine Butler, Butler's a good player but he's not um, in the, it, the point is he is not going to Devastate Australia uh, again, mm. unless he has the series of his life, which he could do. Yeah, uh, it would be a great, it would be a great surprise if uh, if yeah. Josh Butler was the difference maker between these two teams. If Josh Butler had a, a Gilchrist sort of series, that that might that would be something to watch. I think we've got to wrap it. I think we've had our show. I think we've had it done. Our dash. Thank you very much, Ben Jones, for co-hosting with me today on the final Absol- word. Absolute joy. Thank you so much. I, I look forward to uh, to doing one with Colo. And comparing the two, and then obviously mm-hmm. my my eventual ascension to full time host mm-hmm. will be will be in the post. I hope, but no, genuinely, thank you for <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been very been very been very pleasant to just have a have a nice little ramble, see a bit of Aussie sun through the the glimpse of the mirror and the window, and through that. So that's as close to summer as I'm going to get for six months. <laughs> uh, a huge thanks also to everyone on the patron page who supports the show. We literally could not do it without you, uh, Wisden Cricket Monthly. Grab the link in the show notes for that sweet discount subscription. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for supporting us with their beverage making. Uh, This show is edited by Dave Collins. It is on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. Plenty of other shows available there too if you want things to listen to that are about other things that are not cricket. And uh, it is brought to you most weeks by Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Ben Jones today. Uh, We'll be back with Adam and I on the weekend for story time to go through the annals of cricket history and then the weekly show next Wednesday. See you then. So you know what I meant here. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall.
Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.